So, Father Harrison, uh, not everybody watches us on YouTube. Many people just listen to the podcast. Mm-hmm. Uh, you made a comment about where I'm recording. Uh, do you want to describe for the people where I'm recording? Well, apparently, you look like you're the same room that we, you recorded from two weeks ago when your mom uh, rudely interrupted us. Yes, um, yeah, she did. She was she was a big hit. Gloria Shravo was a big hit. She was yeah. so cranky with me because uh, we went to brunch uh, this Sunday, which was lovely. Um, and she's like, I told Nick to edit me out because I didn't want to be on the podcast. And I was like, Mom, everyone loved you. You were yeah. great. This is, and, and Nick Nick knows good content when he hears it. So I knew that she was going to be in the podcast. So. Oh, of course. Absolutely. I knew 100% it was going to happen. Uh, so thanks, yes. Mom. Yeah. But you're, uh, you're in the guest room still or whatever. I am still like in the that. guest room. And I don't know if I, if I very clearly... Um, I think, you know, the first week I recorded here, I was just like, this is a thing that happens when you move and it's fine. Mm-hmm. You know, you, just, you accept it. But now I'm going to put a, an occasional listener on blast. Um, uh, Father Ben, who, who uh, used to be here, whose place I am taking, um, this is all his fault. Okay. Because we had movers come in like two weeks before we were supposed to move. And mm-hmm. he still had all the stuff. And by Whoa. stuff, I mean... Tons of vestments, which I should have just stolen because they're all very nice. He has excellent taste investments. I should have mm-hmm. just stolen those. Mm-hmm. Um, he he has forgotten his clerical cape, which I'm taking now as a tax Wait, for, his, for inconvenient his, me. His, his clerical cape, like like he, like he a has a black. Kappa? Yeah, like the yeah. Like that the, oh, you mean like like the like the cloak type of thing? Yeah, or the you cloak mean like, cape okay. thing. Okay. Yeah, yeah, that you'd wear, I guess, with a cassock if you wanted to be. Anyway, he's got one of those. It's cool. I'm going to keep it. Um, you know, he had his bird cages here, his birds. Uh, he still had his fish here for a while. Um, and because he took so long in moving out all of his junk, I am still in the guest room. So they are now painting my room, and mm-hmm. I have furniture coming in, and all that's that's good. So hopefully... What shade of pink will your room be? Oh, no, we're doing magenta. Oh, no, Agenda. it's it's. Uh, I could give you the exact. So uh, my interior decorator is taking care of that. Also known as uh, new star of the show, Gloria Sharapa, and she gave me a very specific name for a color of white that is good. And I am like, yes, sounds good. So they're painting is it, it that like color, papal white, where it's like a slight beige. <laughs> it's it's not. It's it is an off white, uh, but it had to be matte finish. I don't know what that means, but that's what it had to be. It means it's uh, not going to be glossy and shiny. Good. All right. That'll be good. So uh, I trust her judgment in all of these things because uh, she, she knows what she's doing. Mm-hmm. So that's why I'm still in the guest room. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I am, I am a little bit a little bit cranky about it. So this means that you haven't had a chance to get settled, essentially. No. That being said, I am getting more used to the rhythm of the parish. It's been three weeks now. Mm-hmm. I've done all the things. I've done a funeral, two funerals, a wedding. I've gone through the cycle. We have like a three-week cycle of uh, Sunday Masses. I've done all of that. And uh, so, so now introduce to that, yourself to everybody in the parish. Yes, because nobody goes on vacation during the summer. And There's nobody that. two yes. years from now will be like, oh, who are you? Um, right. But, <laughs> but it's also, I, I mean, I guess it's, it's like, but like when you're, because you guys are going, you have different churches in your parish, right? So you might not be at every church two. every weekend. Oh, yeah, two. Also true. Yeah, yeah. We have two churches in our parish. So, yeah. Well, that's actually okay. not too bad. It's actually really nice only having two. Um, you know, that, that all jokes aside, everyone has been lovely and welcoming. Um, after Mass, a little kid gave me a welcome Father Anthony that. Yeah. thing that he drew during yeah. Mass. It was lovely. It made my heart go a flutter. Yeah. Uh, so, it's, that has been very good. So, question then. Uh, mm-hmm. How many stickers of the podcast have you given out? Zero. Why? <laughs> what's, what's wrong with you? 
Don't you care about pushing us and then like letting our, our influence grow all the more? Yes. As soon as I show up to the parish, listen to my podcast and just. I don't. I don't. I don't see the problem. I don't yeah. see the problem. Yeah. Because um, you might actually get clout. You know, I'm part of a very popular Catholic podcast. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, it, apparently it is mildly popular because several mm-hmm. people have let me know that they have listened to the podcast mm-hmm. and they were excited to have me show up, which was, you right. know, it's always flabbergasting <laughs> to me. Um, so everyone's been lovely, but I'm going to complain a little bit because okay. that's what I do because I'm a cranky man. Well, you're Italian. Yes, and I have to just talk about things. Uh, so the question that I keep getting and is driving me crazy is in the sacristy, and people are, they're trying to be very helpful. They're trying to be very respectful. They are good and holy people of God. And I love them for what they do and who they are. But if I hear, Father, how would you like to do X, whatever mm-hmm. it is, mm-hmm. I'm going to lose my freaking mind. Because I keep trying to say, like, I really, like, I keep asking, well, what does the, the pastor normally do? Because mm-hmm. I would like to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, one, because I, I know the pastor, I know his liturgical preferences, they're great. And I just kind of want to keep things as, you know, a, yeah. a, a hermeneutic, hermeneutic of continuity, if you oh. will. Hmm. Yeah. You know, interesting like to phrase. Yeah, it is. Uh, so it's like, I really, really want to know what normally happens, please. But actually to make things more difficult is that a lot of like the sacristans are just showing up for the first time after COVID and stuff too. So they don't quite know what's going on. So no one knows what's going on. So, <laughs> so gotcha. at the end of the day, I'm like, I'm just gonna go out there and say mass and it'll be fine. Yeah. Um, as long as you say uh, this is my body and this is my blood things mm-hmm. and you, you know, put your hands over the gifts to invoke the Holy Spirit, you're probably okay. Yeah, yeah. I think I've been doing that quite well. And there's other little things like uh, at our parish, we would keep the corporal uh, on the altar. And this one, we always fold it up and take it back into the sacristy. Or uh, we do the St. Michael prayer after Mass here. And there's been a few times I've forgotten it. But the people are good. They're very forgiving. They just start mm-hmm. it without me. Yeah. Uh, so it's been fun. It's been crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's been the, crazy, man. The, the 7 a.m. Masses, I'm still getting adjusted to. Become um, like me. Become morning person. Become. Become morning person. I I respect morning people. I fear them and I fear their power. Um, I, I will be up, happy if I God gives me grace. I 5.15 this morning. Uh, I, I've been setting my alarm for 5.30 on those 7 a.m. days because yeah. I need time just to um, to lie in bed and hate myself for a while. And then I, you know, get my coffee and everything. And mm-hmm. uh, It's not exactly. And you have to drink that. It, and you have to, have, you have to drink that coffee fast. Yeah, well, I've got I got my double shot of espresso, so I go oh, bam. Okay. Gotcha, so gotcha. no problem with the fast. Nice. You know, that's that's the one thing that gets me up. Um, but it's not really a heroic minute. It's more like of a pathetic twenty minutes. Mm-hmm. That's the spiritual. That's the, that's the book I'm writing. The uh, pathetic twenty minutes about how to not start your day well. Uh, hmm. It's hmm. going to be kind of like a screw tape letters kind of deal, except with right. just a, a not morning person. I think it was going to sell a thousand copies. And that's what's going on with me. And what's going on right now is a little something we like to call, clerically speaking, I'm Father Anthony. I'm Father Harrison. Uh, yeah, it's been kind of crazy over here, too. I mean, although this last week was partially just due to the fact that I was up and down the island three times. So it's like about an hour and a half drive to Victoria. Yeah. And so I had to do that three times in the last week. Uh, went down Sunday, had dinner with the rector at the cathedral. And then Monday we had kind of like a priest barbecue which was kind of nice although it didn't last very long i was you know i'm like come on guys like we haven't seen each other in a year and a half everyone's in a rush to get out of there just after an hour i'm like <sighs> anyways um, lame 
Uh, and then I did some spiritual direction for some people and mm-hmm. on Tuesday. And then actually just while before I left Victoria, I did, um, we did the interview with Larry Chap, which was a lot of fun. And thank you for editing that, by the way. It was, it was a great conversation. Uh, I really, it was like, it hit all of the things that clerically speaking loves the most yeah we talked about vatican II, about balthazar about holiness mm-hmm. um larry trapp is a great conversationalist some of his stories mm-hmm. made me laugh out loud mm-hmm. uh it was it was great it was a lot of fun and so yeah i want to we'll, we'll bring him back soon i don't you know you don't want to give too much to the people you want them to anticipate you want to right enter the mystery more. yeah exactly, exactly enter into desire have their hearts expand so that yes, they can accept the gift that clerically speaking wants to give them in the future exactly but thank you again larry for coming on for that so yeah i came back up went straight to the parish had tuesday night mass had a couple things afterwards and then like wednesday thursday it was just like get like i've been again i've been waking up early like today i had to wake up at 5 15 because i had to catch a ferry back from where i was on one of the gulf islands but um i've been waking up at like 5 30 6 o'clock and i go make a cup of coffee and i go to my chapel do my holy hour which i'm really glad i'm doing though because it's like the days have literally been just go 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 um like last thursday i went from like 7 a.m after my holy hour to like nine o'clock at night and pretty much didn't stop it was Ooh. just one of those one of those days. And it's fine. Hey, it is what it is. My PhD kind of got pushed aside last week. It's just I think part of it's just like I have to meet with some people. There's been some calls for sick calls, obviously. I'm the dude for that. You know, I'm the one dude. That's you it. are the it's one me. dude. I'm the one dude. You're the guy. Uh, yeah, I am the guy. Um, and then Friday morning, I said mass and chat briefly with a couple people. And then like just like tore back down to Victoria to can celebrate a friend's wedding. Um and then uh, this is where I want to share because this is where it really got kind of awesome. Okay. Um, then Saturday or Friday night, uh, I went out. I went out to the because I had two weddings. So one I just celebrated Friday, and then I preached this one on Saturday. Um, and uh, so I was invited to rehearsal dinner on Friday night, which is just at um, the bride's mom parents uh, place in in langford and and so i went there and it was just it was awesome i'm gonna i was just i was a proud papa that weekend that that's one of those 24 hours and you want to why because this is a couple who were in my young adult group at the cathedral and pretty much the entire wedding party were people who were part of that young adult group that's cool and so they, which is always what I wanted. I want, I'm like, this thing could die one day and that's fine. I want the French, it's the friendships that are essential to endure. And that's kind of what happened. And I had, and, and so I went to, and it was a great time just hanging out and listening and people were making fun of me in a good way. And it's like, <laughs> yeah, there's always, well, I know like one time I gave a talk at the young adult group on Vatican two, but it actually just ended up being Vatican one. Cause I was going into like the prehistory and I never had time <laughs> to talk about Vatican two. So they're yeah. like, give us a talk on Vatican two. We mean Vatican one. So they love, it's, it's, it's always nice. And a uh, shout out to actually two shout outs out quickly. First father Chris Schmidt in Edmonton, well, cameras now, I guess, but who's a listener to the podcast. I caught up with him last week. And then, uh, uh, Lucille, who's getting married in September. She was my first spiritual directee um, when I kind of got out of seminary. So wow. I was really happy. It was really nice to briefly catch up with her. And, and here she's getting married. So so God bless you, Lucille, on that. Um, so, uh, yeah. So I go home. It's been a crazy week. I hadn't had time to prep the homily. You know, it's been kind of sitting there in the back of my mind. So I, I stayed up till 1 o'clock on Friday night preparing a homily. I wrote it out. Mm-hmm. It was a little long. I was like, this is pretty good. I'm pretty happy with this. Sure. Wake up. I do my holy hour. 
And it was, I don't know if you've ever had that moment where you're just like, you know, Lord, 55 minutes, like that's gotta be enough, right? Uh, I got a lot of stuff I got to do today. Yes, 50, yes. Because I, I had a meeting at nine um, with someone on Zoom, and I was like, come <laughs> on, like five minutes? I got to get coffee before I get to this meeting. Yeah, Lord. yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was like, nope, you're staying for the full 60. Okay. And I'm really glad I did. Because mm-hmm. I started reflecting on that Friday night and praying about it. I've been really, again, reading Law of Science, so learning to re- reflect on my experience to find Christ there. And a phrase popped up in my prayer that brought, honestly, tears to my eyes in a good way Mm. um and the phrase was reflecting on last night reflecting on the marriage that's about to happen isn't it remarkable that christ is here Mm. and i'm like yeah it is remarkable it really is and so i go to my meeting and it's still sticking back in my mind i check out the homily i wrote the night before and i rewrote in really fast time i took my notepad and put a bunch of notes on because i wanted to center around that theme and it was just so beautiful because like i heard from some young adults and stuff like this like that was their experience of this whole thing too that that phrase caught everything for them and it became like the the, yeah it became the theme of and and of the uh of the uh the wedding it was just beautiful so congratulations to Catherine and sergio because i know they also listen to the podcast so congrats on your wedding they're just such a beautiful couple who really love the lord and his church in such a powerful beautiful way and this is the best part is i had been praying that they would get together before they got together (laughs) i never said anything i never said Mm -hmm. anything you know i let the holy spirit do his work so i uh, yeah so i went there i got back because i drove back saturday night from victoria i got home just after midnight woke up did my holy hour on Sunday, said mass, and I drove right back down to Victoria to go to Saturna Island to hang out with some uh, some friends. I have a friend who has a, a house on one of the Gulf Islands, and some other families were there, so I just hung out with them for, you know, about... I went there Sunday night, got and I left literally this morning at 5.15. Or, sorry, I woke I woke up at 5.15, left, caught the 6.15 ferry, came back, and now I'm recording a podcast before I have a staff meeting. Woo! Woo! Excellent. Best um, yeah, sorry. That that's a lot of storytelling, but yeah, no, no, that's good. It's good. There's a lot of stuff. It's it's nice that your parish is operating like a parish again, and you're doing things. Yes, this is, that's, cause this for is also this is also good. God is uh, good. I have that a way. question for you. Yeah. Um, are you going to discuss any parishioner emails uh, at your uh, staff meeting? I don't think this week. No. Okay. Sorry. Well, sorry. We're I, gonna I, discuss. I'm not, well, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not lobbying that one for you. Yeah. So we're going to discuss yeah. some emails in this week's mailbag 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 Mailbag. finally a bumper that's under 30 seconds yay mailbag mailbag is a pretty um generic name yeah but i was trying to think of something clever while you were talking and I couldn't come I know, up I was with like, anything. I was like, oh, he's trying. He's, he's, he's reaching. I was like, letters he's to the reaching. pastor, yeah. um, uh, rectory mailbag. I don't know. But uh, if if Nick Sens, who named our podcast, uh, is thinking, is listening yeah. right now. Well, maybe here's one. Here's, here's one. But what? this would only work if we were bishops, so it'll never happen. Okay. It would be um, exceptional Episcopal pistolori something i don't know i'm trying to get an alliteration going that's actually not going to work never mind no ignore, well the no, thing ignore. is even though we, we i tried we're saying yeah you tried we'll see what nick comes up with if he does a bumper presbyteral penmanship presbyteral penmanship 
I don't know, man. I don't know. I don't know. I'm thinking. I'm just well, whatever. Well, maybe and, maybe Nick uh, came up with something clever. I'm sure. Uh, he did. But we've been talking about this for a while that we're actually going to answer some of the questions that we got uh, via email, and today we're really going to do it. Yeah. I uh, will say one thing. One thing. Uh, if you ask us to read a book, I'm sorry, friends. I love you, but it's not going to happen. We, Harrison's reading stuff for his PhD or That's whatever. all I have time for right now. Yeah. That or spiritual and, reading during my holy hour. That's it. Right. And uh, I don't do what people tell me to do. So uh, it's, that's not going to happen. Um, not, not that right your now, suggestions were bad. But just yeah, so you not know. Not right now. If it's not right now at least. Also, can I say another thing? Because some people have uh, asked us to review Chosen. Oh, yeah. Everyone keeps telling me to watch it. I'm not going to do it. This is kind of why I haven't watched it because everyone tells me I have to watch it, and my nature is to be contradictory. Right. Uh, I have the same thing. If someone tells me the show is really awesome, I'm like, I will never watch that show. Thank you. I'm not saying it's a good thing. It's probably a sickness. Uh, but also, it, this is. I mean, I've heard good things about it. If it's spiritually edifying for you, wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. Uh, but I cannot stand watching basically any popular media about like Jesus or the apostles because in my brain it's like when I read the scriptures and I do my you know imaginative prayer I just don't want that to mess with it so I can't yeah. I can't do it can't do it mm -hmm. but what we can do is answer some of these questions at least give Absolutely. it a shot all right let's do it pulling it up here we go oh so first just a clarification on a previous podcast uh, this is from Emma she said you mentioned briefly something about the difference between constantly praying and accidentally making Jesus an imaginary friend. Can you elaborate on this? Yes, I can try to do that. So what I mean by like making Jesus an imaginary friend is like, you know, when a little kid is making up an imaginary friend, uh, he or she is both sides of the conversation, using their imagination to make up this person, what they look like, kind of uh, talking to this person, deciding what they do and all that stuff. And, you know, their imagination can be very creative and all that. Imaginative prayer is a little bit different because it has uh, the work of the Holy Spirit within it. So you're also listening as you're imagining. Uh, and the example I gave was, you know, from somebody who would literally just talk out loud to Jesus, like while at work. And that's not the best <laughs> um, evangelical uh, uh, evangelizing method because you just seem like a crazy person. Uh, so, yeah, praying constantly, you know, and a lot of people do this just throughout the day just talk to Jesus about this, that, the other thing, what they're doing. That's good. Uh, but don't do it in a performative way right. and make sure you leave room for the Holy Spirit and listening. That's all I meant by that. And it's like, I don't want to put this. Um, it's... Oh. Again, this may be just be reading too much Giassani, but it's like, yeah, Jesus mm -hmm. isn't something imaginary per se. He's not something right. that... You create an image of him in your mind, but it's actually something encountered right here, right now. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And always through something, right? Through your yeah. vocation, through your work, through this, through that. There's a lot of things through which Christ manifests himself to you, not in a poetic sense, but actually in a very real, right, real, real way, like in through your experience. So you don't need to make something performative. You actually just have to look more inten intensely at, at, at what's in front of you, right? And, and to see, and to see, Christ, help me grow in my in 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 my awareness of you here, right? Yeah. Good. That's cool. All yeah. right. I, I so I'll take the next one here. Oh, okay, uh, you, actually, got it. you got yeah, it. Cool. Yeah. Um, 
So this is from Molly. So why when I when I why am why am I hearing so much about Eucharistic coherence around abortion, but haven't heard the same issue brought up around the death penalty? I mean, I'm sure the issue of abortion is more pressing because the sheer number of lives taken. But has this issue or even arisen, ever arisen for politicians who support or neglect to fight the death penalty? If not, why? Okay, so this is in reference to Pope Francis's um, addition to the Catechism, where. Um, um, where he where he's changed the catechism now. So I'm gonna read it. I'm gonna read it. Okay. It's it's it. Uh, this is I don't know. I, I'm gonna say one quick thing. I think we know too much nowadays, and I think we have too much information. Uh, we because magisterium is actually like a really difficult thing to navigate, and mm-hmm. what kind of ascent is due to magisterium, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Right. So like just. I'm going to do my best to navigate the question. We have to understand, like, like, and because like, I think it's a good question. I think it's a fair question. But I want Absolutely. to read this because I think it's it's going to help. So, it, the new text says this: recourse to the death penalty on the part of legitimate authority following a fair trial was long considered an appropriate response to the gravity of certain crimes and an acceptable, albeit extreme, means of safeguarding the common good. Today, however, there is an increasing awareness that the dignity of the human of the person is not lost even after the com- commission of very serious crimes. In addition. A new understanding has emerged the significance of penal sanctions imposed by the state. Lastly, more effective systems of detention have been developed, which ensure the due protection of citizens, but at the same time do not definitively deprive the guilty of the possibility of redemption. Consequently, the church teaches in the light of the gospel that the death penalty is inadmissible because it is an attack on the inviolability and dignity of the person, and she works with determination for its abolition worldwide. All right. Just because we have to understand there's different levels of gravity. And I'm going to be honest. Actually, I have a beef with this quote, and it's one beef, really. It's presuming a Western, and I would say a Western vision of first world countries that have strong incarceration capacities. But like I think of places like the Middle East, where in war-torn regions, where it's so easy for prisons to be um, ineffective in protecting the common good. So I actually I don't I I, I, I per, like and I think that word admiss, inadmissible is a really key one. It's not saying it is not saying it is always and everywhere wrong. It's saying we ought to work hard for its abolition. But inadmissible means that, and it gives you the three criteria, the development of the dignity of the human person, uh, the significance of penal sanctions imposed by the state, and more effective systems of detention have been developed. And I would argue that if these three conditions aren't met, there can be times and places where the death penalty is, is still a proper thing for the defense of the common good. But then... We still ought to work and help. So these developing countries where they don't have this in place to help them to build this up so that they don't have to give into the death penalty either. So it's saying like, yeah, um, taking away a human life is, is a really bad idea, even by the state. And we should be working really hard against it. But what it's not saying, I think this is really important. It's not saying that it is always everywhere and definitively inadmissible. It's saying that it's inadmissible when these three categories are fulfilled. Okay. At least this is my interpretation. Some people might not agree. That all being said, I would argue that like in North America where we live, I think his statement holds true. In yeah. fact, the death penalty is non-existent in Canada. It, it was abolished a long time ago. Mm-hmm. Um, 
but in the states, I think I think there is a place to say that uh, those three conditions are fulfilled, and therefore it is inadmissible. So, but that's the next. So that's the next question: is who determines it, admiss, admissibility and inadmissibility? You see, legis. So I would. It is a. It's a. It's a. When we're talking about moral issues of the church and Eucharistic coherence, there is a hierarchy of goods, and and because what I saw around the Eucharistic coherence debate was an a, a equivocation of all moral teaching, as right. if to, I'm like, no, this is not that. That's never been the church's yeah. position. Um, but it's that when you public, so I give you an example. I think like let's say you're a governor, you're a Catholic governor of a state where um, you don't need the death penalty, and you actually make it. Uh, even easier for the death penalty to be uh, executed against um, against uh, uh, inmates. I would actually argue, actually, in such a case, it actually would make you incoherent, and that it, you ought to refuse, and you ought, they ought to be refused communion in such cases because all three conditions are met. And I think in that case, it's like, and that's where, and that's, but again, we also have to realize, like, when we're talking about Eucharistic coherence, these discussions and dialogues are happening before a public statement is made. Um, most bishops have been in conversations with a lot of politicians about these things, right? So there's that. Um, and, and, and um, or, I, but I think it's a diff, but there's also a moral difference between actively pursuing um, things like this and not changing legislation because you're not necessarily cooperating per se by not doing anything and politicians only have so much time. Maybe they just can't get it through whatever. So I think there are some conditions, essentially. This is my very long way of answering saying yeah. I think there are some conditions where actually it could be in this case and other serious grave moral evils that are an affront to human life and to the common good. Um, but um, it's not always easy, and this is why the church wants to have this discussion because there, it, it's... It is. We live in a time where, like, morality is such. It's so complicated to live a morally clean life in many ways, right? In the sense of like sure. everything we these computers we're using are unethical in many ways. Mm -hmm. um, so, but I, I think it's a fair question, Molly, and I do think that there are some times and places where it can be. And I, I'm hoping that these documents address this question. That not, but that, but like, this is like first level. It has to be public, and yeah. And I, I'm also, I have to remember, I'm not an American, so I don't know how the American uh, judicial and uh, um, legislative system works all the time. Uh, so I, I don't know all the <laughs> in and outs of this. Um, yeah. I barely know how the Canadian system works. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'll just add a couple things. Um, there is an argument that, and this is just, just presenting very quickly another argument, that um, the death penalty the justice of the death penalty serves the common good. I just heard that thrown around a lot. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure if I agree or disagree with that. Mm -hmm. um, also, yeah, it's important, like, if a politician was openly advocating and signing legislation for assisted suicide, that that person should not be admitted to communion right. as well. Right, yeah, yeah. And, and I think we've also seen uh, the justice system in America <laughs> leaves a lot to be desired, to put it very mildly. And I think it's important for Catholics to work against the death penalty in the U.S. Um, and those are the only things I would I would add. But right. it is a good question. Yeah. And Eucharistic coherence does mean more than just uh, advocating for abortion. But like Molly mentioned, uh, that is a really really big deal. So that's kind of where uh, the conversation is centered around. But good, yeah. Yep. Yeah. 
Okie dokie. All right, question about uh, parishes from Chris. He says, how do you select a parish when moving to a new place, if you have options? This kind of segregation and sorting within parishes is a little sad, but does uh, but the lay faithful it does face the lay faithful with a question: What kind of community do you want to join? That provides a follow-up question: Does this intentional joining of a certain type of parish community raise the same modernism and perhaps Americanism problems that you guys have discussed? So we've talked a little bit about this on the podcast too, and Father Harrison, of course, you know, feel free to jump in here. But um, the ideal of the parish is that it's a you know this portion of the uh, faithful. It's usually territorial. There have been um, areas in the past, like even in the past in Pittsburgh, where some parishes weren't territorial; they were ethnic. Um, like there was an Italian parish. It didn't necessarily have. Uh, Boundaries, and I'm not exactly sure how that works in canon law, but it was like the Italian parish. And if you were Italian, you could go there and expect to hear the mass in Italian and all that stuff. Uh, so you have to balance two things. Um, the fact that not every parish is perfect, and perhaps by your gifts, talents, and even especially just presence and prayers, maybe God is calling you to help that parish. But we also have all heard stories or experienced situations where a parish for various reasons um, may be actually harmful to your family uh, to their spiritual growth to your spiritual growth and I think it's okay to say to move from that parish like I totally understand that if it's for a serious reason um, so is it a kind of modernism I don't know it's just I mean, it is a modern problem, and as can, much it, as we it have, becomes, yeah, it becomes easily an emphasis on preference sometimes. Yes, yes, and just a modern in the purely uh, historical sense, in which I mean, we have cars, and we can go to different parishes. Yeah. You know, uh, that's just an option that would not have been available in uh, ye olden times, where it's like yeah. you were just stuck with the priest that you got. Um, so I think, as long, my opinion is that as long as you are prayerfully discerning mm -hmm. uh, where you should go. I think that's what you focus on. Um, is God calling me to help this parish out, or to be a part of this area? Um, is God calling me to go somewhere else with my family? That takes conversation with your family um, and just with prayer. So just take it seriously is my really only advice. Yeah. Um, yeah, because I think there are some times, yeah, there are some times it, where it can be justified, right? Absolutely. So it shouldn't be just like a shopping spree. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it should be taken more seriously. Than yeah, that. But also, like, there's a few things, right? Remember, too, your parish is more than just your priest. Um, also true. Right? In fact, parish is more than just a building in many ways, right? It, it's, a, it's a geographical boundary. I'm going to push back one little bit, though. It's like, because I think it's fair. Sure. Yeah, you don't want to go, like, parish shopping and thinking, which one fits me best? That's not... Yeah. No, it's what, and I think there's an important point in canon law around this that like geography, place matters. This is actually, I think, part of this actually does get into the modernism thing a bit. Something I've been pondering a little bit lately is the 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 place of quote unquote place in our embodiment as human beings. Mm -hmm. um, how important is that to us? How do we live that? 
why does the church emphasize this? So we need to take we should, we need to obediently take that seriously in many ways. Um, but again, like but also with every law, there's always a way in the law to do something else, right? So, but I think we ought to give preference and priority to our geographical parish first if we can. Only then, if you're finding like there are some really good because I know some people who there are some very good reasons for them to never go back there again. Uh-huh. Um, but also, like, to remember, they say, okay, maybe you don't like the priest, or you don't like maybe even how liturgy is being done completely. But look around. Do you know other Catholics who maybe even are a bit like-minded like you, who you can, you know, who have suffered through this stuff for a long time? And, you know, there's, a, there's, it, it's complicated, obviously. Um, but, yeah, I, I like your point. I think take it very seriously and, and take as the benefit of the doubt the church's understanding of the importance of place and geography. Yeah, and I I totally understand your point about you know the parish isn't just the priest, but also practically speaking, a a priest can make the parish all about I know, him. I know, a, you know that's a real and like and I think we agree on this. But if if the priest is giving you a hernia or like just heart, heart palpitations at every mass, you should probably leave. Um, this is the thing about my diocese, though, is like a lot of places you only have one parish to go to. Right. So, so you do have to go to Mass. Yes, <laughs> so you're still required even, to go to Mass. Even if the priest yeah. <laughs> is a jerk face, you do have to go to Mass. Um, okay. Yeah. yeah. But good question. Yeah. We should probably... Uh, can we move on? Are we done with questions? Well, it's been... I'm, I'm just trying to be a little well, what cautious. Time is it? It's, it's... Yeah. It, okay. Yeah. Let's Sorry. Ju- okay. Good. <laughs> and we can save the questions for later. We can have Sounds more good. questions. Sounds good. Uh, and you can always send, and, and email them at clericallyspeaking at gmail.com. Okay, uh, let's jump into presbyteral exhortations. And now it is time for presbyteral exhortations. Oh, yes. yes. Quite good, quite good. Indubitably. Mm-hmm. I bet they can't wait to learn. They're going to learn so much. It's my favorite part. Oh, it's oh, the best part. Mm-hmm. Yes. yes. Uh, I want to talk about going to mess. Okay. Because that's a thing that hasn't been a regular thing for a lot of Catholics in the last 15 months, which is weird. And the reason why I want to talk about this is because in uh, my diocese, I believe the rest of the Pennsylvania bishops, yeah, um, they're working in concert to reinstate the obligation to attend Mass on Sundays, which was, uh, that obligation was lifted uh, basically since a few weeks into the whole pandemic thing and okay I'll just jump into my thoughts right mm-hmm. away go nuts I I think we have to remember because it's hard to remember just how confusing chaotic and just how much information we did not have when the p- pandemic began uh, how it was new it was scary we didn't quite have all the information that we did now uh i think most reasonable people can look at a lot of the restrictions and have qualms with them and i certainly do uh even though i uh, you know i was very in favor of masks and reasonable mm-hmm. things like that uh there's just a lot of stuff that probably wasn't done in the best way possible then also it quickly became politicized and became mm-hmm. terrible okay right. so acknowledging all of that acknowledging that you know the bishops are uh, people can get swept up in all of that, understandably so. I remember thinking very distinctly at the time, wow, I'm really glad I'm not a bishop because these are very difficult decisions when you're trying to do what's best you know, for your people. But I think 
one thing that we really have to acknowledge is the irrevocable damage that was done by lifting the obligation to attend mass. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying it was the right or wrong decision yet, because I'm not quite sure, but it had consequences that will be felt by this generation of Catholics and maybe even next in, in especially, mm-hmm. you know, anywhere this happened. That you can't put the genie back in the bottle for this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think there are going to be, you know, a good number of Catholics who they've already started returning to mass. You yeah. know, people have been returning to confession. Yeah. Our numbers are slowly going up. They're not, you know, nearly what they were, but they are going up. Uh, there is an intuition from a lot of people that it's just time to go back to mass. Even if it's, even if they don't have a deep spiritual reason for it, there is that kind of movement of the spirit within them where they say, yeah, it's time to go back to mass. And that's, that's good. That's good. Mm -hmm. But you're also going to have the fact that a lot of people haven't gone to mass in 15 months. Mm -hmm. And it seems like what kept a lot of Catholics in the routine of mass is just the inertia of that's what you do. You have to go to Mass on Sundays. And even people who would skip Mass for vacation or Mm -hmm. whatever else, they would still come back for a confession and say that they missed Mass. So there was like this knowledge that you had to go to Mass on Sundays, even if it wasn't very in-depth. It was there in most of our people, culturally there. Mm -hmm. I think that's utterly destroyed now. Okay. And because there's a few things at work here. One is the fact that the church... This, you know, it's church law that you have to go to Mass on Sundays. Not that you have to receive Eucharist on Sundays, but you have to go to Mass on Sundays. Of course, that includes, you know, uh, the vigil Saturday night. There's also a divine law that says that you have to keep holy the Sabbath, which for Catholics is Sunday. Those are two different things. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of us have equated the two. They thought they were the same thing. Right, And then when you have the bishop saying you actually don't have to go to Mass, that creates a lot of confusion. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that was ever properly taught or explained pastorally. Um, you know, and that doesn't just belong to the bishops. It belongs to us priests as well, you know. Right. Um, because maybe because we thought it was too complicated for people. Maybe because we were just running around like chickens with our heads cut off. And so there's all of that. Mm-hmm. But I'm also just wondering, what do you go? where do you go from here? And part of me thinks that we're just going to have to accept that a lot of people aren't going to return to Mass. And there's all kinds of, you know, plans that are in the works in my diocese or, you know, programs, whatever else. This is what we're going to do. And I have become just so cynical about any sort of top-down plan of about getting people to mass you know there have been some good things like i think in my diocese uh we had this initiative uh, the light is on for you it began some years ago mm-hmm. yeah I've heard where everywhere like in the diocese there was going to be confessions from like 6 p.m to 9 p.m yeah. and so and there was big publication for it and so and everyone knew if you went to a church there was confession there i think it was very effective mm-hmm. it's become less effective because we literally can't do that anymore uh that we cannot because we have more churches than we have priests right. um maybe some of the novelty has worn off as well over the years but like that was something that was i think fruitful as much as you know it was mm-hmm. uh but now we have this big problem where we have 
maybe Father Harrison, you can pull me out of my, not quite despair. It's not despair because I very much trust that the Holy Spirit will do good things. But I don't think there's a fixing of that. I don't think there's a putting a genie back in the bottle as far as, far as mass well, uh, obligation. I think okay. the majority of Catholics will never see it the same again. Well, okay. What's there your, you go. What, okay, let me let me let me ask you this question. Yeah. I got a few questions. First, what was attendance like once things reopened for you guys compared to before the pandemic? So it depends. Uh, right. You know, at my old parish, that was a community that kind of jumped right back into mass right away, mm -hmm. pretty much. Um, we had a ton of people going to our drive-in masses. Right. Um, now, I left right after those masses were canceled. Right. And it was all indoors there. Um, so it seemed like more. Good, but they, that was an older community, mm -hmm. uh, a more traditional community in the sense that um, it just was at that area. Okay. Uh, here, I think it's about half. Interesting. It's half and growing, but it's about half. Interesting. From what I've heard. Um and so it depends from 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 parish to parish, but I think probably this area close to the city is more of the norm in my diocese. Okay, that's interesting. Uh, no, it's interesting. Yeah, I've heard different. It's it's been. I think it has. It's interesting. It's been different parish. And I think it depends on the mentalities of different where the towns are. So, yeah. um, so for example, where where I am now in, in Nanaimo, I was expecting about four hundred people the first week, and we were fully reopened. We had 550-ish, and we've been wow. kind of consistently at 550-ish uh, for both masses total. And, I, and before the pandemic, we're, we're straddling somewhere 625, 650. Okay. So, and I think some of those people who aren't coming back still are just not, like I've talked to some people, I still don't feel safe yet. I got, we got a lot of health issues, stuff like this. Sure. Um, um, but the other thing that kind of comes to mind the the other thing that comes to mind is is but then like our cathedral it's it's been ramping up but slowly but where i am it's more working class it, mm. interestingly so there's not as much you know people are vaccinating everything but there's just not as much fear for going out while in in victoria like i even noticed it i really noticed like the different culture around yeah. protecting people in a major in major cities is a lot higher and people are a lot more nervous in the bigger cities. Um, so I found that very interesting. So I think that's part of the dynamic. The other thing is, I don't, the bishops could have said nothing about this, and I don't think it would have changed a thing. Yeah. Well, I think. Well, not nothing, yes. but I mean, like, you know, but I mean, like, because this gets to the whole, it was interesting because Cardinal Dolan had a letter that he put it around the obligation a couple weeks ago that. I know maybe it was canonically and terminologically a little at fault about some things, but I found it interesting. He said, listen, you don't need a dispensation if you're feeling sick, if there are things like a pandemic happening. You don't even need a dispensation. Um, the law already allows for you to not to miss mass, right? I kind of I kind of like that approach. You know, I kind of tapered my response a bit afterwards because I realized, yeah, this is a little, it's uh, not been canonically well thought out, um, but but I did, I kind of appreciated that approach a bit because I think there's a truth there. And he actually really emphasized that Sunday was always meant to be held as holy. I think too, it also depends on how did parishes do things while we were locked, like, because we were locked down for seven months, but I didn't do an outdoor drive-in mass, but I did do like, um, I did like the streaming mass. People drove into the parking lot, watched on their phones or whatever. And then I would do drive-through communion afterwards. I think that level of connection actually really made it easier for you to come back. But at the same time, like half the people who are coming back, I'm like, I've never seen you before. Sure. Yeah. Didn't even know you existed, right? Yeah. So I, I don't know. I think I think I, my my sense is honestly I don't think they could have 
done a lot of things to really keep people engaged or whatever, I, I don't know if we would see that much of a change. Because what's happening too is, is I think in some ways the pandemic starts to weed out some people who were kind of on the fence about going to church anyways. Yeah. So I don't, I, I don't know. I don't know. I'm of the different, I don't know if anything could have been done. I think the pandemic just popped the genie out of the bottle. Um, yeah, not the dispensation. Okay. Yeah. Well, I mean, so you got to think about the reasoning behind the dispensation. Yeah. And uh, because, y- yeah, you're right that if there's a serious health concern, if you are sick, uh, if you are contagious, like even if you have like the regular flu and you're contagious, uh, you shouldn't go to the mass. Mm-hmm. Um, you, and you're not obligated to go to the mass in that case. You know, and I think it's pretty obvious that a global pandemic, if you're concerned about your health, uh, you with even without that other dispensation, you could go to uh, uh, miss mass and be at no no fault whatsoever you still have to keep that day holy and that mm-hmm. you know uh in some way you have to do that in a concrete way uh and you know make it uh the sabbath and all that uh but i th- I, ass- I have to assume the reasoning was that most catholics if they if we didn't shut down the churches um a bunch of i think especially the, the first like month or whatever I think our churches would have been mostly still full. And oh, interesting. Yeah, I think we would have been empty regardless. Uh, well, I'll say this. I think most of our... Um, hmm. Yeah, this is why it's kind of tough to paint with broad strokes. But I can totally see the reasoning is that a lot of old people are still just going to go to church. Because that's what they do. They don't know how to not go to church. Mm-hmm. And well, Or else, why else would you shut down the churches? So Why wouldn't you yeah. instead... Uh, just re-emphasize this teaching that if you don't feel safe, y- well, there's, well, there's no- one thing we were like a lot of places were actually forced to shut down regardless. Right, but you know, in our place, uh, from the very beginning, there were religious exemptions, and I mean, there were still some restrictions. Yeah. Um, but there were still religious exemptions. But we always went along with whatever the normal state law was, mm-hmm. and you had bishops pushing for exemptions as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's like. I don't know. Yeah. Um, it, it's, I don't know. I think it's a very complicated topic that is going <laughs> to, we're going to need some time. Like we, we're still too close to all this, right? Like, cause I look back, like we, like, so interestingly, we, we, we shut down our churches here in BC. All the bishops decided to do it, but we actually had, we were still allowed to gather with 50 people in the church. Yeah. Um, and looking back, I'm like, well, maybe, but it's like, who's led through a pandemic nobody right mm-hmm. nobody's led um and and um so i i'm of like differing mindsets on diff- and again it's like i think part of it's just localness and and, and what's what's the kind of like local catholic culture yeah i i kind of agree i think we could have done something different with the dispensation use it actually as a moment to teach what sunday is yeah. Right. I think that could like, and, and it was interesting. One of the things I loved is like a lot of families are telling me, well, we're not even watching mass on, t- on online or whatever. We're praying the breviary at home or we're praying a yeah. rosary together. I'm like, yeah, that's awesome. Like that's, that's, that's what, that's, that's way better than watching it online, you know? Mm-hmm. So I do think there are some ways like, I think, it, but again, it's like in the moment, like who knows what's going on. Right. And, and, yeah. and they want to assuage people's conscience. Right. Cause I still mm-hmm. hear, you know, speaking vaguely, I still hear people like confessing like missing mass in the last year. I'm like, yeah, this is not an issue, right? <laughs> yeah, no, I've heard you know, that a lot. It's, not, it's, not, it's like, you know, but it's like, it's interesting. Like it's, but then like younger families, people, like it's just, it, you see these generational gaps too. So I think 
because like, you're 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 thinking like, my sense is yeah, you're thinking that we've allowed we've begun to allow for the unraveling of the church's common practice in life is that what i'm getting is that what you're kind of getting at yeah i think that's fair and, and I'm not I'm not sure if that was inevitable or not, but that's kind of what I feel like. You see, um, I, I agree with you. I think it is unraveling. I just think it's for different reasons, and mm-hmm. I don't I don't think the Sunday obligation thing I think can be part of it. But I just think the pandemic just was was coming, and it was doing it for us. And so the question now is like, and the question everyone's asking is, how do we get people back to mass? Right. And part of me thinks there's nothing you can do. And by that, I mean, there's no like, you know, other than uh, inviting people back to mass, other than having liturgies, other than continuing to do what the parish should do, I cannot imagine any kind of program other than what is ordinary grassroots evangelization, Christian duty. Mm -hmm. Am I wrong here? Yeah, I don't like. It's interesting because I, I, yeah, it's like, and I was racking my brain like, how do we communicate with everybody and everything, right? Mm-hmm. And, and and actually, what I did is I said to everyone, we're sending out an email to everyone, but you, most of you who have email, but um, you know, there's a lot of parishioners who don't because we're a very right. retirement oriented diocese. Yep. Uh, I said, I'm actually leaving it up to you guys. Phone your friends, tell them we're back. Because um, it's a way to kind of encourage co responsibility. It was one of the steps yeah. of saying like. Actually, this is not just on me and the staff. If you want this place to, like, I've even had people ask, like, can we have a second mass on Sunday mornings? And I said, no. I said, you fill up the church for 1030, I'll add an 830. It's on you. It's on, this is, this is like, it's on me too, but it's like, it's on all of us to do something, right? This idea of like this passive, I go to mass, like, I think there's, like, I feel, think there's some good things out of this, like it, but it requires pastoral leadership on our part as priests to encourage people in their, their Christian freedom mm-hmm. that you have a responsibility and if you want to see things thrive, it's not going to be on the whim of a pastor's decision or not. It's up to you to, to do things. So like, like actually in my last parish, one of the things we did is we instituted like a, a, a phone list for, and we had, and people would communicate with people at different times. And it was actually really good. It was a way to keep connected. Like, so, cause most people in that parish didn't have emails. So we had to go differently. Right. Um, there's, there's just different ways. I, I think I think at the heart of it, what you're talking about this this unraveling is it, it's an unraveling because it was already unraveling. We just didn't acknowledge it, right? Yeah. And that we didn't, that there was no sense of responsibility for parish life for all of us. Yeah. Uh, and that we need to encourage and promote this idea of a bit of a co-responsibility, not for governance, but for, the, for bringing up the life of the church. You want more people here? Well, like phone go knock on doors go talk to people at coffee shops share your faith find different do works of charity publicly so that people can see how you love others Mm -hmm. actually start to embody the faith besides just showing up for mass on sunday and saying grace before meals yeah yeah and it's you know you mentioned the generational gap uh a few thoughts came to mind i was at first very surprised because we would still have like drive-through confessions Mm -hmm. um i was surprised about the number of penitents who would say that they uh, missed mass, missed the live stream mass. Right, yes, yeah, yeah. <laughs> right? And and I was both like encouraged and befuddled by that. Same and befuddled here. Befuddled because I was like, 
if I was not a priest, I don't think I could. And we mentioned this before. If I was a priest, I don't think I could ever watch mass on TV. Yeah. Right. I could watch the homily maybe, but that's about it. Now, there are some people who can watch and pray along and that's great for them. So I'm not discouraging that in any sort of sense. Um, But I think you have a generation of Catholics through no fault of their own. The only way they knew how to keep Sabbath holy was to go to mass. And there was still that intuition that like, if I can't go to mass, I have to watch it. And I think among some people, there's confusion that watching mass was now the requirement or that watching mass was the same as going to mass. Understandable confusion if you've never been taught, Mm -hmm. right? Uh, But at least there was that feeling that like, I should be doing something on Sundays. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And you have a younger generation because you've got a lot of the resources of uh, evangelization are really directed to a younger gen- mm-hmm. generation. Uh, you know, the the good websites, um, <laughs> when we used to have DVDs, uh, instead of like, <laughs> you know, streaming everything, like that was something that young people could access and they weren't mm-hmm. afraid to access those things because they could navigate the internet. So you have a generation of young Catholics who know about the bravery. Whereas I don't think a lot of old generations of Catholics have any idea what the bravery is because why would they? You know, the priest prays it on his own. Why would he ever, you know, okay. Um, and which is, makes me think of a different topic. I think sometimes we leave the older generation behind. Absolutely. Uh, no, absolutely. In evangelization and catechesis. Yeah. Uh, because we're so focused on getting young people to church. I forget, like, there's an older generation who do hunger for the faith. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, it would always be, you know, the retired people after daily mass. A lot of times they would come into the sacristy and ask me another question about my homily or whatever. They were very curious, wanted to know stuff, and were excited to learn. Uh, but they're, they're not as comfortable um, listening to podcasts or uh, going uh, on the Internet. So they just, or they go on the Internet and find, like, the really crappy stuff. Um, that's maybe a different topic, but I, I, that that's what was brought to mind when you mentioned that different difference between yeah. uh, Catholics a lot. You know, we forget that the older generation, they're not all just a bunch of um, crazy liberal boomers. A lot are just yep. like honest Catholics yep. who have always done the best with what they have. Mm-hmm. And when they find out there's more, they're like, oh, cool. I would like to learn more. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, and we also have to remember, I was actually reading something yesterday. Just, I don't think we realize because we've been growing up in a more digitized age Mm-hmm. in a more mobile age where and things have seemed it, I mean they haven't slowed down but they also have in a way like um, um, but like we have to remember some of the people who come to our masses maybe they might have grown up on farms where they didn't even have cars where they never saw yeah. cars until they were in their teens or something like that right mm-hmm. um, the idea like the world has changed so fast and I think that's actually part of the reason for generational divides mm-hmm. um, that have been created because I agree I think we also need to work at integrating things better I mean I there are some things like cause we have to remember it's like okay we have a lot of older generation that's great but if we don't shore up at the younger ages thing the right. parishes are gonna get smaller and maybe that's the way it's supposed to go sometimes who knows right yeah. so it's like yeah you don't want to like exclude any group because like when you're a pastor you're a pastor everyone whether you like it or not mm-hmm. um, um so you have to you know you have priorities and i understand things but you need to really work for everybody and and, and so I, I yeah i think I think for me, if there's anything, it actually kind of ties into our our last episode around the sacramental order of the church. Because what happens in all of this, we offer a juridic response, Mm -hmm. a sometimes bureaucratic or policy response. 
without the theological underpinning. And yeah. isn't this a sign, like, because I, you're, you're, I think you're right to an extent. Why aren't people coming on Sunday anymore? Well, because they don't understand why Sunday is important. They haven't been taught it. All they've been told is that it's a sin not it's a sin to miss mass on Sunday. <laughs> exactly, yeah. And when Everyone we do, knows that. and when we do, said so actually no, for a time being, it's not going to be a sin at all. Because like, but then it, and like, then it's just like it opens up That's so many very issues. Very confusing. Be, well, no, then it opens up so many issues, right? Because then you have people who think, well, then the church's laws are purely arbitrary, right? It's purely yep. positivism, where a person can will and do whatever they want with the law. Um, and I'm like, that's dangerous too. Uh, but mm-hmm. why do they have that idea? Because that's how we treat law in North America. Laws can come and laws can go, right? And I mean, there's a, and there's a sense of that in the life of the church too, but that there's, the church is trying to protect a common good with this idea of, of mandatory mass. Like it's trying to say, this is your bare minimum for keeping the holy day, Sunday holy. Yeah. Like bare minimum, not, not the, all of it, the bare minimum. Yeah. <laughs> you need to be doing yeah. more. And so, again, it gets us to this question of, like, I think it, it, it reveals a kind of uh, wound or, or an absence. And this unraveling is happening because of it, because we haven't given them a coherence that unites the church in her understanding of what Sunday is. Why, so why aren't they coming back? They were never taught that this is the day of the Lord's resurrection. Why would you not want to be with him on that day? Right. And, why, and what is the church but his body? which mm-hmm. participates in his death and resurrection in a unique and powerful way on Sunday. And yes, because of extraordinary times, we can remove that ability to come together that way, but the masses, because like, that was the other thing. I've, I mean, listen, I, I know some priests who maybe didn't say mass every Sunday. Mm. And that really, really actually breaks my heart. Um, 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 no, it really breaks that one. Really breaks my heart because, like, that's because there is a spiritual unity to that. That even if you're not there, right? But we haven't yeah. given this. We haven't given like, yeah, we're going to call it. We're going to given this eucharistic or ecclesiological coherence to the life of yeah. faith. The attachment of Sunday to the Christ, to the church, which is his body, which we, is nourished by the reception of the Eucharist. And so we we just mistake it all as just positivism. Like, like this is actually something Chap brought up in our interview, right? Who were the main proponents of the destruction of church liturgy and stuff after the council? All the priests and people who were formed in, in the seminaries prior to the council. Why? Because they had a positivistic view of law. And we're still acting out of this. Like, this is actually, yeah. it's good. It's actually connecting our last episodes now. This is really great. We're, we're still <laughs> acting out of this. And this is like, we're not dealing with the issue. We're still being forensic. We're still being like legalistic about it. I'm not saying law is not important, but it needs to be rooted in theology. Right, and, and yeah. that's why theology, theology is the queen of the sciences. Absolutely, absolutely. 100%. Any, any good Catholic would agree. Every good Catholic, especially canon lawyers, would agree. Absolutely. Anyway, sorry, that's my end of my rant with that. But that's, that's I think no, I, think, I that's think that's important. Good. Yeah, I think that's that's good. Um, if you guys have thoughts, uh, feel free to email us. Uh, and hey, thanks for listening. Please leave a review on iTunes and tell your friends about the podcast. Tell your enemies too, because Jesus says we must love our enemies. You can find me in the guest room at a rectory. Actually, don't find me there. That's my private residence. Don't be weird. <laughs> you can find me at FR Harrison on Twitter. Contact the podcast and receive updates at ClericalPod on Twitter. Find us on Facebook, YouTube, or email us at clericallyspeaking at gmail.com. Peace. God bless.